Good morning, Icon and Doxa, and happy Easter. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Justin Anderson, and I am the lead pastor at Icon Church. Uh, it is great to be with you this morning to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus started his ministry, one of the very first things he did in public, it's recorded in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, is he went to the synagogue in his own hometown and he opened the scriptures and read them. Read this from Isaiah chapter 61. It said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the scriptures go on to say, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, that's bold right? Jesus goes back to his own hometown. He's a relative unknown at this point. He's not done any of his miracles. He's not preached any of his great sermons. He rolls into his own hometown synagogue, reads one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, and basically said, yeah, that's about me. That, that scripture that you've been memorizing, that you've been waiting for to be fulfilled, it has been fulfilled today. Now, that, that scripture in Isaiah goes on. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint, uh, a faint spirit. Now, our, our, our theme for this morning is the idea of beauty from ashes. And it comes from this passage in Isaiah chapter 61 that Jesus read about himself. And this has become kind of a hope and a theme for Christians throughout the centuries that in Jesus, we can find beauty where there once was only ashes. Now, um, some years ago, uh, my house caught on fire. Don't worry, everybody's fine. It was a very small fire contained to one room, but I remember walking into my house after the firemen went way overkill and basically hosed down everything and saw this room, my, my garage that had been turned into uh, kind of a, a fun room, had, had just had ashes everywhere. It, it had been burned up to a degree that was never going to be replaced. And, and, I, and I realized when I was looking at those ashes, like there's something about the, the effect of fire on, on materials to turn it into something that cannot be repaired. There's very few things in our life that cannot be repaired, but ashes are one of them. Ashes cannot be turned back into what it once was. It's just gone. And yet, Jesus comes on the scene and one of the very first things he promises is the ability to turn ashes into something beautiful. So this morning, I want to look at a very famous story in John chapter 11, the death and resurrection of Jesus's good friend, Lazarus. We're going to pick up the story in verse 17. So if you'll turn there in your Bibles to John chapter 11, verse 17. 
says this, Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, what's remarkable about this interaction is Martha runs out to meet Jesus, hears that Jesus is on his way, runs out to meet him. And the first thing out of her mouth is, man, if you had been here, Lazarus would not be dead right? Which cuts both ways, right? At the same time, she is proclaiming this confession of faith to say, Jesus, you have the power to to have healed my brother, to have saved him from death. But then it cuts the other way too and says, but you weren't. You weren't here. You could have saved him, but you didn't. In fact, Mary says the very same thing in verse 32. If you turn the page, it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, a confession of faith, but also one of disappointment. Just a few verses later in verse 36, some of the other Jews who had been there to mourn with Mary and Martha said, see how he loved him, see how Jesus loved Lazarus. And yet, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? They knew Jesus. They knew his power. They believed in him. They believed that he could have saved their brother. And yet, he let them down. It, it, it occurs to me that it's relatively easy to believe a certain thing when all of the evidence surrounding you suggests the truthfulness of it, when the people around you agree with you and kind of contribute to that faith and kind of buttress it in a number of ways. But what happens when that evidence begins to fade away? What happens when it becomes more difficult to believe in a thing, when the people who maybe used to believe do not believe anymore and begin to walk away? This, this is when faith can really come alive. It's it's when conviction can reveal itself to be the powerful force that it is. Faith in the face of disappointment and doubt is the most powerful kind of faith that there is, but you can never experience the fullness of it without first going through disappointment and doubt and even despair. And that word despair has been a word that I have heard a lot in the last year. As kind of wave after wave after wave of difficulty and trial has has crushed us in so many ways in this last year, that so many are are, are feeling the weight and burden of despair, wondering, God, couldn't you have done something? Couldn't you have shown up? Couldn't you have saved us? Couldn't you have solved this problem? And maybe it's not one of the big problems of pandemics and race and all all of the things that we're dealing with as a country, but maybe there's just something in your life 
that you go, I, I believe that you could have saved. I believe that you could have solved. I believe that you could have healed, but you didn't. But you didn't. A historian by the name of Kyle Harper, who actually studies ancient pandemics and was writing about how the Christians really thrived during the time of the plague, writes this. He says, for Christians, this life was always meant to be transitory and just part of kind of a larger story. What was important to the Christians was to orient one's life toward the larger story, the cosmic story, the story of eternity. They did live in this world and experience pain and they loved others, but the Christians of that time were called to see the story of this life just as one of the stories in which they lived. Right? I mean, that's, that's the, the beauty of faith, the beauty of conviction, the beauty of belief in a moment of disappointment and doubt and despair, in a, in a moment where, where all you have left is hope. See, Jesus was saying to Mary and to Martha, listen, this, this life, this world, it's not all there is. There is more. In fact, he continues in verse 22, um, Mary had said, or Martha had said, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks her in the eyes and says, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. See, it's in these moments that we need to be reminded of the truth. Pain can feel kind of all-encompassing. It can feel blinding. It can feel like there's no way out of it until the truth cuts through it and gets to our heart. And Jesus, in the midst of Martha's pain and Mary's pain and all of their friends' pain, looks her in the eye and cuts through the pain and says the truth. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though they die, they will live. Do you believe this? Do you believe that there is a greater power, a greater reality in the world? Do you believe that our physical bodies and our physical death are just transferred, just a part of this process? It's not the reality that we believe in. Do you believe in that? And Martha goes, I, I do. I do believe in that. I believe that you are the son of God and there is a deeper reality. It always strikes me that, you know, Lazarus is raised from the dead, um, but Lazarus dies again eventually, right? Like he's not still living, right? Jesus raised him from the dead, but then many years later, how, I have no idea how many years later, he died again. I, I just imagine people around his bed, and it's like maybe the one time that nobody goes, it was too soon, he died too soon. If anything, it was too late, right? Like this is a guy who had two opportunities, two lives that Jesus intervenes in this incredible way to open the eyes of Mary and Martha to go, hey, this is, this is real and your pain is real and I'm going to enter into your pain with you, but let's not forget the greater reality that I am the resurrection and the life. 
And to be able to see moments like this, the pain that we walk through, the disappointment that we walk through, the despair that we walk through, and see it with the perspective of eternity. But see, Jesus doesn't expect us to simply do that like robots, to go through this world, experience pain, and be like, hey, it's not a big deal. The pain, the pain is fine. It's not a big deal because, you know, eternity. Like, we, don't, we, aren't, we aren't supposed to be those who do not mourn. In fact, this story illustrates it perfectly. Let's keep reading in verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her were in the house consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Four times in this short story, John tells us about the emotional life of Jesus. That, that Jesus didn't come on the scene and see Mary and Martha in their pain and simply go, hey, you realize that this is not a big deal, right? Like, he, I, I'm going to raise him from the dead. This, this physical life, this isn't the real reality. Like, there's a deeper truth and a deeper meaning. That stop, stop crying about this. Let's get back to our mission. Let's get back to our purpose. No, he doesn't do that at all. Not only is there kind of the beauty of hope in the midst of disappointment, but there's also the beauty of presence in the midst of our mourning. That Jesus comes alongside of us and is with us when we grieve, when we mourn all of the losses and all of the pain and all of the disappointment of the last year. All of the pain and disappointment and, and frustration in our lives. All of the loss. Jesus doesn't look at us and go, come on, you're making too big a deal about this. Don't you see that those things that you lost, you will, you will gain back? Don't you see the, those people that you lost, you will see again in heaven? Stop crying, let's get down to business. He doesn't say that. He weeps. He's grieved. He's sad. His heart is moved for them. Just last week, we talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. And from Psalm 23, we talked about David's faith that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is powerful and will come and intervene and save when times are tough, when danger surrounds us? No. Because the world's not that dangerous or it's not reality, so let's not make a big deal about it? No. David says, I, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. See, it's in, in those moments of pain, in the moments of disappointment, in the moments of suffering that we can then sense the presence of Jesus because it feels like we have lost everything else. And when everything else gets pushed to the side, we're then free to feel 
and know and appreciate and celebrate the presence of Jesus with us. But it doesn't end here either. This is the unique beauty of Jesus. Not only does he give us hope in the midst of our disappointment, hope in the midst of our suffering, not only does he give us his presence while we mourn it, but he also offers us freedom from it. Let's continue in verse 36. It says it was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. And, and so, excuse me, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is an amazing story, but for a moment, I want us to just hear the command of Jesus. After the resurrection of Lazarus, he tells his people around him, unbind him and let him go. That Lazarus has been bound up by death, bound up by sin. Uh, uh, He has been dead in the tomb for four days. And upon his resurrection, Jesus says, unbind him, give him the freedom that I have just granted him. Let him once again experience life. Now, this story is unbelievable. Literally unbelievable. Literally impossible for me to wrap my mind around. I I read it and I want to believe it and I do believe it, but then also I go, but really? Like dead, dead, and then alive, alive? Like really that's what happened? It, It genuinely seems unbelievable. And especially in our day and age of kind of rationalism and scientism, that this kind of a story just defies our modern sensibilities. And and many people have not believed this. Many have tried to allegorize or minimize. We've tried to make it palatable and believable. We've tried to make it a metaphor for life from death, a metaphorical beauty from ashes. But this is the one thing we cannot do. Lazarus died and then he lived. Jesus died. And then he lived. In 1960, the American poet John Updike wrote a poem called Seven Stanzas on Easter. I'm going to read it for you. He says, make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the 11 apostles. It was as his flesh, 
ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered. Out of enduring might, now strength to enclose, let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. If Jesus can turn the ashes of death into the beauty of resurrection, think of what he can do in you. This is the offer. Jesus raises Lazarus from the death as a teaser, just as a a little hint of the resurrection to come. Months later, then he finds himself dead in a tomb only to also be raised on the third day. Death to life. Real death. Blood poured out. Heart stopped. Brain waves ceased. And then remade again. The brain rekindled. The heart begins pumping again. The blood restored. Life. Real life. Jesus, who has the power to take death and make life has the power to take you in your disappointment, in your pain, in your suffering, in your hurt, in your sin, and make you alive again. Give you freedom to take off what binds you and let you walk free. That's the promise of Easter. Let's pray. Jesus, your power is on display in in an unbelievable way, but in a way that only has one solution, only has one way to understand it, which is that you are God, that you alone could accomplish such a feat, not just in Lazarus, but in yourself and by extension in us. We look inside ourselves and and see failure. We see weakness. We see we could never accomplish what you have accomplished. We can never get ourselves out of our own problem. We look uh, around us to those who promise to be able to heal us, to promise to be able to solve our problems, and we come up empty again and again and again and again and again. The problem in us and the problem around us is a problem that can only be solved by you. 
Jesus, take our ashes and out of them make something beautiful. Resurrect our dead selves. In your name we pray. Amen. Hello, I'm Jeff Vanderstout, lead teaching pastor at Doxa Church in Bellevue, Washington. And in light of what we just heard Justin say, the people in this context, as John records it, are just overwhelmed. I mean, they cannot believe what they just experienced. And John says many start to believe in Jesus. But there's a whole other group that goes off to the religious leaders to tell them everything that Jesus has been doing. And the, the religious leaders are so afraid. They, they're just unbelievably overwhelmed with this fear that now this is going to change everything. They're going to lose their privilege, their position, their power, their influence. And the question they ask themselves is this, what are we going to do about Jesus? And that's the question I want you to ask this Easter. In light of what we just heard, what are you going to do about Jesus? See, it's clear to these religious leaders that Jesus is going to change the world. That what he just did can't be ignored. You just can't walk away from Jesus raising a man from the dead. And they know it's going to affect their world. And I wonder this morning how you respond to that. As Justin said, this is not a metaphor. This is real. Real death, real life from the dead. Maybe you, like the religious leaders, are a bit threatened by Jesus. The idea that he would come into your world and awaken you to things that you didn't realize were dead, were broken, were lost, were dark. Maybe you don't want to face the fact that there have been ashes in your life. You don't know if he would care or be able to do anything about it. And so you just keep him at arm's length. Or maybe you've been saying to yourself, God, if you'd been here, if you would have showed up in that moment, if you would have helped me when I felt helpless. Well, he is here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we celebrate here on Easter day morning, is the fact that Jesus truly rose from the dead and is here, present by his spirit to meet you in your present situation. Now, one of the religious leaders to the question, what are we going to do with Jesus, as they're beginning to navigate this new reality and discover for themselves what they ought to do, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, says to all of them, you know nothing at all. You're not even considering that this is to your advantage, that one man, speaking of Jesus, should die for the people rather than the whole nation perish. John writes about that statement, he did not say this on his own, but being a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. Caiaphas was right about his prediction. Jesus didn't die only for the Jews, but for us as well. Jesus died so that you and I don't have to. Jesus died in our place. On the cross, Jesus took our sin on himself so that we might be forgiven and set free from the bondage of sin, the, the clothing that kept us from being able to move like Lazarus in the tomb. 
Jesus not only died, but rose again on the third day to enable us to have power in this life over sin and forever over death. Thankfully, Jesus didn't stay dead. He is risen. He's alive. And he wants to be present with you right now in whatever you're going through. And everyone who puts their faith in Jesus' death in their place, in his burial with all of your sin on him, in his resurrection from the dead on the third day, are set free. They're not only forgiven of their sins, but they're set free from the bondage of sin. And they have the very presence of Jesus in their life to enable them to overcome, to see beauty from ashes in everything they're facing. And they have a real hope. Not just the hope that Lazarus was raised and then it died again, but that we all with Lazarus will be raised in Christ to enjoy him forever with a new resurrection body in a new heaven and a new earth. For those who believe in Jesus, this life does not end in ashes. It doesn't end in death. Because Jesus brings beauty from ashes. He brings life out of death, healing out of our hurts, hopes for our despair, comfort for our sadness, light in our darkness. He wants to do that for you today, right now. Do you want beauty from the ashes of your pain, your brokenness, and your despair? Do you want beauty for the ashes of your darkness, your rebellion, your sin? Do you want to be forgiven? Today, right now, ask Jesus to bring the beauty of his forgiveness to the ashes of your sin. Do you want to be set free? Right now, ask Jesus to bring the ashes of your bondage into the freedom that he offers you through his resurrection. Do you want his presence right now in your life? Invite him to enter into the ashes of your loneliness, of your despair, of your isolation. Invite him to bring his very presence into your life today. And do you want a certain hope that your life will not end in the ashes of death? Believe in Jesus who not only overcame death in his resurrection, but will overcome death for you as you face your inevitable end. Do you want beauty and ashes? Do you want life and death? Do you want hope and despair? Do you want forgiveness for your sins? Life eternal? Put your trust in Jesus today, right now. Believe in what he's done for you on the cross. Put your trust that he buried not only sin in the grave, but the power of death over you as well. And then put your hope in him as the only one who will be able to raise your life up from the dead. Not only when you face death one day, but even now as you face death every day, as you live in a world that's so broken and dark and full of despair, put your hope in the one who can bring beauty out of ashes. You can be brought to new life, today, right now. I want to invite you to join me in prayer, right where you're at, inviting Jesus to come and be the one who forgives you of your sins, 
who comes and dwells in your heart by faith through his spirit, who will come to bring beauty to the ashes of the ruins or despair or brokenness that you're facing and will give you the hope of resurrection life right now in this present moment and forever. Let's pray. Father, right now I pray that you would open the hearts of anyone who's listening right now to receive Christ, to receive what Jesus has done for them through his own death burial and resurrection to put their hope in the only one who can raise us from the dead and the only one who can give life today who can set us free from the bondage of our own sin father i pray in this moment you would reveal to all of us the deep need we have for jesus christ that we would receive him maybe for the first time in this moment for many of us who've already received him once again we would welcome him in to bring beauty out of the ashes of our own world and our own life today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Icon, we're going to now take a moment of silence. We're just going to take a minute to receive whatever God wants to speak to our hearts by His Spirit together. And then we'll follow that up with one song together.